Hey, welcome back to the Bonus Island Whitefish. Uh, the Bonus Island 15. Whitefish. The Bonus Island Whitefish. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm here with Riley for episode 15. Hey, it's been 50, 15 weeks plus the one week we took off. It feels like we just started this yesterday, but maybe that's just because my perception of time has been all fucked up by staying inside. Maybe. Uh, that's right. 15 episodes and 300 hours of Bones podcast. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Uh, so, should we, just, should we just get straight into it and give our listeners a... Breakfast update. Uh, thanks, Andrew. My breakfast today has gone back to what it has been in the halcyon days of uh, episode six and seven of Bones. Um, I I was once again having a Brick Lane bagel, cream cheese, salmon. I'm using the orange mug again. Like this is just, it's a classic breakfast. But the only difference is, I've got a little candle in it because I'm saying Happy Birthday, Andrew. Happy <gasps> Birthday, Andrew. Thanks. Thank you very much. I've become one year older. That's the mm-hmm. way it works. Yeah. God, just think about imagining what Bones would say if she overheard you saying happy birthday to someone. She would say, why is it happy? It is just another day like any other. Uh, actually, it would be much more... Wouldn't it be... Sorry, I'm going to try to inhabit... I'm inhabiting Bones. Mm-hmm. Becoming be, Bones. Okay, I'm now the Bones from the show Bones. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be more appropriate to celebrate? Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm gonna try it again. But the sun, tra- the the Earth traveling around the sun, one full rotation is actually have very little meaning on your life, even in, as a physical body. Surely, it would be, make more sense to celebrate every seven years when all the cells statistically will have replaced themselves. Hmm. Damn bones, but don't you know that it's actually about uh, tradition and having friends that will help you blow out the candles on your cake. Oh, is this a social convention? <laughs> hey, Bones. <laughs> uh, so, um, well, yesterday was my birthday. And for a birthday breakfast update, mm-hmm. uh, my wife was like, oh, do you want to like go out to a, to a cafe or something for breakfast? Uh, like before we take the kids to school and stuff. Because, uh, you know, I haven't organized anything special. And I said, well, that would be a whole thing. What if instead we went to McDonald's? So, wait, uh, you, so you had McDonald's birthday? I had, Mc, I had McDonald's birthday, but the party room was closed due to the pandemic. <laughs> so I could not have my my birthday breakfast in the party room of McDonald's. I did eat a, uh, a big brekkie burger. Mm. Oh, is that a thing? Don't, I don't know if you guys have it there. Uh, no, I've never heard of a big brekkie burger. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that because of the uh, the name brekkie, mm-hmm. that it is a McDonald's Australia exclusive item. Yep. But basically, what you get on one of those bad boys is you get a uh, a beef patty, mm-hmm. uh, one egg, the okay. type of which you would get on you know an egg and bacon McMuffin. So the round one. 
Mm-hmm. The rubber one. One, the, one the round, round egg. <laughs> Excuse me. You know how eggs are, are usually oval in shape? Mm-hmm. Give me give me that in a circle, please. So you get uh, you get your beef patty, uh-huh. circular egg, uh-huh. uh, bacon, mm-hmm. hash brown, slice of cheese, barbecue sauce, and it's all on a burger bun. This is just from The Simpsons. This is the thing from The Simpsons. It is a uh, it is an le epic brekkie burger. Yeah, you know what you should do. You should be like the world's first leftist car fast food reviewer. Like Joey's World Tour, but not a QAnon guy. <laughs> oh, I didn't know Joey's World Tour was a QAnon guy. I'm pretty... No, okay. he's like... He's a super intense Trump guy, and he's like hinted QAnon stuff before. But yeah, Joey's World Tour is um, extraordinarily reactionary. Oh, oh damn. I'm, I'm just seeing here that, uh, that apparently you can get a version of it with the, the patty from the um, McChicken in it instead of the beef one. You can have a, a chicken big brekkie burger. For breakfast? Yeah, why not? I, why I mean, not? Sure. I'm a savory breakfast guy. Oh, no, I'm a savory speaking. breakfast guy as well. I love to have like, um, in fact, I've had it on this exact show. I've had leftover risotto. I've had leftover mm-hmm. um, pasta. I've had leftover, I like an Italian dinner breakfast. You know, that's mm-hmm. me. But I don't know. I think there's real a real petrol in this um left-wing joey's world tour tank maybe that's what when bone season five finishes which we are keenly aware that at some point it's going to um and and we will be free of its terrible clutches um then maybe you know what we do is we start being um (laughs) car youtube guys who just review fast food which is yeah it's my one of my favorite kinds of um of youtube content because it's it's the same thing as like the guys who like just review I don't know soda or whatever. There's a guy who reviews Mountain Dew and spits it into a cup. Um, you, you have to um, when you get the food at the drive-through, you have to take it off the the worker at the drive-through and then ask them about their material conditions <laughs> and if they are a member of their union. Yeah, uh, it, with my with with my with my revolutionary meal, I would like a worker's inquiry, please. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 it's, it's so weird, right? Cause it's like, this is, there's no need to review any of this stuff. And especially Joey's world tour he's like done it for years, but he's never been able to articulate anything about the food itself. <laughs> like he just, he'll like take a bite of like, you know, the new KFC spicy double down or whatever. Then he'll be like, me, 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 pretty good. And then it's just him kind of making noises at the camera for a few minutes and like occasionally like eating this, you know, piece of eating this like, you know, grease paper and then just being like, me, 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 it's pretty good. Oh, it's almost done. And then it's like, I don't know what you're supposed to say about fast food. I mean, I I have to admit, I'm not, I am not currently a listener of like the Doughboys or anything. I know that those guys Uh uh, review fast food, all that kind of thing. But like particularly in australia maybe more so than say in america mm-hmm. uh i would say that like 98 percent of the items on popular fast food restaurant menus remain the same year round yeah like um there, there will there will just be like one thing that is out of the ordinary mcdonald's at any mm-hmm. one time it'll be like hey for the next for the next fiscal quarter shaker <laughs> fries are back you know yeah until there's only there's really only so much you can say about them and there's really only so much you can say about like a mcchicken beyond um this this one was fresh yeah 
Well, it's it's and also like you know if you want to draw a distinction between Joey's World Tour and the Doughboys, the Doughboys use the fast food as a jumping off point frequently to talk about a lot of other things. Um, whereas Joey's World Tour, it's like five to six minutes of just like it, it's the same thing I think with some, with like guys who just like review Funko Pops or open up um, loot crates or whatever. Where it's just like I want attention. I want to make a channel. I want to do a YouTube. I don't have any particular talent or skills. So instead what I'm going to do is I'm just going to grab the first thing I see um, and then I'm going to film myself consuming it and um, then and then that's going to be sort of sort of it. So I'm now, I'm now I'm now I'm Joey's world tour and I've gone from doing something that's actually kind of interesting like eating an entire chorizo without use, raw chorizo without using my hands. Uh, and now I'm just going to do boring stuff. I'm just going to, you know, sit down and say that the uh, the spicy double down is uh, pretty good for about five minutes. I miss yep. old Joey's World Tours. I'm trying to say, go back to what he used to do. <laughs> it's no longer fun. I, I... Yeah. Well, speaking of going back to the thing we used to do, it's time to talk about an episode of Bones that seems to have no reason to exist. Oh yeah, more than usual. Uh, this episode, episode 15, The Bones on the Blue Line, uh, mm-hmm. has a bones count of 11. Uh, one of them in the title. Seen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess I'm not actually including that one, so let's give it 12. Yeah, we're going to give it 12. Uh, singular bone count of 17, mm-hmm. which I guess will now be bumped up to 18 if we're including the one from the title, which plants it pretty squarely in the middle of the average that we're seeing at some point i think i should actually sit down and like put all of these into a graph (laughs) (laughs) plot plot mentions of the word bone across the episode (laughs) you should just get a get a get a like a bloomberg terminal to track the mentions of bones in the show bones um so so yeah this this episode kind of doesn't have all of our classic hallmarks of a Bones episode, mm-hmm. um, including, I would say, that you seem to have completely omitted, like, any tantalizing mystery. Mm-hmm. They yep. just, uh, like, they just sort of happen upon a dead body at some point, and then they go, I guess, I guess we got to do something about this. <laughs> but we open, we open on a train, uh, sweets on a train, and there's a guy standing up next to him. Mm-hmm. He gets a text message, sits down next to Sweets and starts weeping. Mm-hmm. Sweets then very unrealistically does what uh, no person on the face of the earth would do. God. Takes out his headphones to ask the crying person on public transport, what's up? Yeah, you know. Nobody in the history of the world has ever done this. Because yeah, usually, if someone like, like someone sort of making a, a ruckus on public transport, usually is um, making is it, they're usually either running a grift or a scam, or you know, in some cases, do need a welfare check. It's just it it takes it takes a bigger person than me to issue that welfare check because <laughs> I not, not welfare check with a Q U E like a C K uh, because I do not want to talk to anyone on public transport. Nobody does. Nope. Nobody does. We don't have to be there. Like, we, well, we don't want to be there, I should no. say. No, no. Although it reminds me, there was a time in, uh, 
uh, recent British history in 2013, 14-ish, um, where the uh, 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 there was that some American who was living in, in, in the UK who started like an organization that handed out little badges with the London Underground roundel on them. And it said, fancy a tube chat? And because he was like, hey, <laughs> do you want to... You, you can't wanna, call it that. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it was. It was called tube chat. Um, and you could put a little badge on to say you wanted to talk to people on the London Underground. Um, and it, I mean, number one, tube chat sounds like a euphemism. And number two... Um, it really does. <laughs> Boy, sweetheart, fancy a tube chat. <laughs> you want to you chat to the... <laughs> you want to chat on the tube? <laughs> um, God. Yeah. Come on, chat on the tube. Uh, yeah, so then it was something I still remember um, to this day as being one of the most humiliating failures uh, in recent British uh, history. Well, like, you, you know how there's there's also that kind of pervasive attitude of um, people only, people only, like, don't talk socially now because they're all on their damned phones, mm-hmm. you know? They should be living their lives. Looking up. Hey, look up. Look around. Look at the world yeah. you're in. Um, but you can find like very funny photos of like the New York subway in the 70s where like every single person on a subway car has like a broadsheet newspaper open, <laughs> completely open and up in front of their face. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not the, it's not the phones. It's not mm-hmm. the phones. If you are forced by your job to go out and get on a train and travel somewhere you don't want to be uh, sandwiched in with a bunch of people that you don't want to be on the train with. Uh, ideally, if there's some kind of layer you can put up, some some protective psychic armor to say, mm-hmm. I'm not actually subject to the whims of all of these strangers that I'm in close proximity with. Uh, speaking of which, I saw... Um, I saw like some of the stuff that they're posting in the UK, like up in the, the train stations about like, mm-hmm. hey, let's get out there. Let's get back to work. Forget about the oh, pandemic. God. Let's get back to the office and be friends. Be friends mm-hmm. with. Uh... And it was very funny, but it was also like. Um, it was also getting replied to by like uh, six billion people saying. Hey, here's a picture of what it's actually like being on the tube on like a Monday morning. <laughs> That's right. With your face uh, shoved in somebody's armpit. Yep. Um, everyone just, everyone kissing de facto. Um, and also <laughs> recently, like the whole point of that, right, as well, has sometimes like, because Britain's very like, you know, there, there's not a lot of subtlety here. So big commercial landlords like Alan Sugar have been writing op-eds being like the value Lord Sugar the value of my property uh, in city centers is going down. People must return to work. It's like cool. Yeah. Thank thank you, Mr. Sugar sir. Thank you, Lord Sugar. Come <laughs> on, you. you can't just be called Lord Sugar. I'm afraid in this stupid fucking country you can. All right, uh, here it is. I've found it. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the pitch. Massive, uh, massive ad on the wall of Euston Station. Uh, floor to ceiling. Hearing an alarm. Putting on a tie. Carrying a handbag. Receptionists. Caffeine filled air. Taking a lift. 
seeing your second family. Water cooler conversations. Proper mm-hmm. bants. Yeah. The boss's jokes. Plastic plants. Office gossip. Those weird carpets. Face-to-face meetings. Not having to make lunch. CCing. BCCing. Accidentally replying all. Hearing buzzwords. Leaving early for a cheeky afternoon in the sun. And then at the bottom. Disinfect surfaces we use throughout the day so we can do it all again tomorrow. (laughs) Fucking hell. Yeah. Just, just, hey, get on, get on the, get on the merry-go-round. Don't stop till you die. You might die sooner, but you got to come in or else Lord Sugar might not be able to buy that ivory back scratcher. Um, like if we, if we do just run back through this, um, I wonder how many of these they think people actually miss. Like I, w- I would love it if I had to um, set my alarm like an hour earlier again. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, and having to like put on a tie and a fucking iron shirt or whatever instead of okay. just <laughs> sitting I'm in your wearing, house in a t-shirt I'm wearing? I'm wearing a t-shirt and i'm wearing underwear and that's all i've been wearing for the last about six months yes uh we all love our boss's jokes yeah, the- not having to make lunch by that they mean pay for lunch yeah although like, this was in the fact which, that the fact that sorry go ahead Oh no, go for it. I was going to say what this what it, it, at some point I was like, "Oh, Dedall has watched an episode of The Office and was like, what's a mockumentary?" <laughs> this documentary makes The Office seem very charming and fun. How on earth could you just stay home? Well, you know, you're out there, you're missing Kevin trying to eat an entire bowl of Smarties. Um, I love wrapping it up with leaving early for a cheeky afternoon in the sun. Like people don't do that because it's being out of the office because the office mm. sucks. Well, it's the it's it's nostalgia. It's I think Alice said this right. The the consent manufacturing nostalgia machine. It's just like they put a fork in a blender and it's just sort of sparking and breaking. Um, because you know, like usually, usually like the um. It's like, it's, it's like you, can get, you can get the middle class to agree to sort of subject other people to a lot of stuff, but it's very difficult to get the middle class to like agree to subject themselves to something, to danger so directly. Um, and so that, that's why this yeah. whole, the whole campaign of like, don't just keep working, get back in the office. Um, like that's why it just seems so hyper real because it's like, it's just, it's, that like they've pointed the consent manufacturer at the wrong people based on how it's supposed to work. Yeah. And also I think like, um, attempting to manufacture consent based on nostalgia Mm -hmm. is usually about a time when people thought things were better. Like, you know how there's the whole like, um, right wing, Oh, classic architecture kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of guys but also obviously there's all the nazis and incels and stuff who are yeah. like damn if this was the 1950s i would be assigned a wife who mm-hmm. would have to shut up and i could have kids and a house a house would be affordable and you know i would be respected in my community all these things that i don't currently have that i imagine would would all magically be doled out to me if this was you know 1950 mm-hmm. or whatever of course um whereas now what we're trying to do is say aren't you nostalgic for 12 months ago 
when you were a wage slave. Yeah, nostalgia. And like you had to, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and you had to spend hours of your day sitting on a train, like coming in and out of the outer suburbs of London. And so that you could pay like five pounds for two slices of toast. God, you got that really right. You really, you nailed the pricing there. <laughs> um, yeah, like the, the, the thing that always, the, the whole point about, about using nostalgia for reactionary political aims is that the nostalgia always has to refer to a time that's just out of memory. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And whereas this is just far too close. <laughs> this is far too nearby. It's still right there. <laughs> it's right there. I remember, like everyone, rem- that's why the, that's, I mean, that's why it's sort of so strange and hyper real. Because it's like, no, no, I know that that's not true. <laughs> I remember, you, that's like, it's basically like, it's basically like someone walking into an elevator with you farting and then saying you did it. <laughs> Oh, getting out of the elevator with you and going, you remember a time when you would step into an elevator and smell somebody's fart? <laughs> like, like uh, there are definitely people as well who need, like, uh, that sort of social interaction that you get in an office far more than I do, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that I, I like, um, you know, don't don't benefit at all from those sort of working relationships and everything. And obviously, in in the new model of if you are fortunate enough to work from home in a corporate job, like you have far less of that sort of incidental interaction that you have with people. It needs to actually be organized to some extent. But like, just the the whole thing with that is, though, that some people are just very social. And the thing that they miss is interacting with their colleagues. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like people on the same level as them. Uh, just, and, and some colleagues suck. Like <laughs> there's, there's obviously also going to be a whole bunch of office workers who go into their office every day and work with a team full of people that they don't get along with. I bet those people don't miss it. Um, so yeah, like it's not, it's not the getting up early. It's not the getting dressed for a fake job. It's not sitting on public transport it's not paying too much for your food it's not any of those things that people miss about anything i think the only thing some people miss Mm -hmm. is the the social interactions that they get throughout a work day and i think that if um a lot of the other restrictions of the pandemic were lifted a lot of those people would probably be willing to just ramp up the other kinds of socializing that they get to make up for it no i'm pretty sure that that stuff on the side well, in, in Britain, it's now illegal to hang out socially with six people. You need to either be at work or at a restaurant. So, and the, the weird thing is, right, and I know we're supposed to talk about bones, but we're talking about this, um, <laughs> is that um, in Ender Blair, there was this thing called the ASBO that was invented, an antisocial behavior order, where like the police could basically issue issue you a thing that said, um, especially if you were like, you've been young. legally naughty. Yeah. Uh, no, literally. Yeah. Like, especially if you're young and black, they would issue you like an order saying you are now, it is now from now on, it is a crime for you to stand around with your friends because you're standing around with your friends and some people are finding it intimidating. So we're going to say you can't stand around with your friends. And one of the big thing, in addition to like, you know, um, horrible racism and stuff, that was also a way to criminalize you know, sort of socializing in a way that wasn't somehow also economic activity, right? So you don't, you wouldn't really get it. You wouldn't get an ASBO for hanging out in like, 
you know, a, um, a restaurant, you wouldn't get an ASBO for going to the bar, but you would get an ASBO for standing around on the street. So it's kind of just a continuation of the same thing that's been going on forever. But also, um, and this is the thing that we're forgetting, if you don't take public transport, how will you meet a hackneyed plot device that's designed to make you think about life and death? Hmm. Well, do we have something for you there? So, um, he asks, he asks this guy, and by he I mean Sweets, asks the weeping stranger on a train, which none of us have ever done or will ever do, uh, what's going on? And he says, oh, I used to have cancer, but now I don't. I've been fighting cancer for half of my life. And then he like leans really close to Sweets and is like, I'm going to have sex with exotic women. Ooh. Which, a little weird. And Sweets like, congratulations. Shakes his hand. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on your sex tourism. (laughs) Congratulations for, I assume, the Filipina Punani or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, He does say exotic women in exotic places. Yeah, that's 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 anal. um, He's talking about anal. No, I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking. um, (laughs) That's uh, the, the police go and look at the hard drive, please. That's right. So we're now off to the founding fathers. I think we're. Bones and Booth are talking to a journalist who has come all the way from Japan to interview Bones about her new book. Now, Riley, did you pick up during the watching of this episode the name of the new book? Uh, I picked up the author. Uh, the so, author well, was be, because the, the character the in the was book. Bones. Sorry, the character, oh, the, the, in the, the character in the book being named Kathy Reichs, and I was like, oh, oh, right. hard hands, so, you card. So, as we know, uh, Bones is an author. She writes um, crime fiction novels starring the character Kathy Reichs. Uh, Agent and of Andy. course, the TV show, yes, with a bunch of characters that are clearly all people from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, in real life, Kathy Reichs wrote a series of crime fiction novels starring the character Dr. Temperance, Brennan, Bones, mm-hmm. Bones, Brennan, Bones. Mm-hmm. Now, so were the books uh, just called like the, the day-to-day life of Kathy Reichs? Like, it's we not, are it's about to reversal. get right. We're about to get right into that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they're talking to Riku Iwanaga, the character is, um, and she's interviewing Bones about her latest book, the title of which is Bone of Contention. So that's one of the bones counts. That is absolutely one of the bone counts. Um, although I didn't, I didn't count every time they held up a copy of the book which had the title on it. Um, now, due to previous episodes in which we had discussed the the portrayal of minorities and people mm-hmm. of color in this show, I did actually look it up to see if the actress playing Riku was um, American born, but like putting on an accent. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead I found photos from 1989 of the actress, um, Seiko Matsuda, uh, with Michael Jackson and his chimp bubbles playing with a snake. Uh, and, and that's in the book you say? No, those are real photos. Uh-huh. I can send them to you. Uh, Please do. <laughs> saved to my hard drive uh-huh. for future use. For future looking at by the police when they look at the hard yep. drives. Yep. So, um, there's... Suddenly, there is a tremor in the restaurant. And what's very cool about this show is because it's so lazy 
the single event uh, affects everybody in the cast at the same time, which is very helpful and convenient. Yeah, it's true. It's well, it's that um, all of the events traveling around Washington D.C. sort of are in a little circle, and the circle mm-hmm. is as big as the Bones cast. And whenever the cast is all together, the circle is very small, and so the events mm-hmm. will happen to all of them. But when they're wide apart, the circle is very big, and so events can happen to one or the other. It's just simple physics. Yeah. So there are tremors, um, which Booth insists is not an earthquake. Uh, shakes the founding fathers, and it shakes the Jeffersonian Medico Institute for Sexual Harassment, and it starts shaking the train that Sweets is on. <gasps> Um, uh, there's like a construction guy at the train station who very helpfully runs out shouting, let's get out of here. A water main just burst, which yeah, is yeah. good. Yeah. Cause otherwise we wouldn't have known where all the water was coming from, That's which right. floods the train. Um, the, uh, a skeleton floats past the window yeah. <laughs> directly behind suites. Because again, why would that thing happen somewhere else when it could happen? within you know eye shot of one of the main characters yeah and uh the scale also it's just sometimes like bones almost every time in fact the first within the first five minutes of bones i get the impression of walking through like a fairground haunted house and boy was this no different i felt like i i was looking around for a carney to give a ticket to when i saw the skeleton <laughs> pop up in the window i was like ooh. does that like uh you know that really high-pitched tinny uh haunted house skeleton laugh (laughs) (laughs) that's right and while this is happening the newly joyful cancer-free man is very ironically killed right in front of sweets that always Uh, happens he just falls over and bonks his head and sweets is like oh no and you know what he's got a, a good text he was one day from retirement he was Damn. So, yeah. um, so you know, everybody descends upon the train station. Um, you know, we're all there. We're taking a look at the bones. We're taking a look at the new dead guy as well. Uh, they say, hey, go talk to that transit officer, uh, which is Clea Duvall from a, a bunch of bunch of movies in the 90s. And now she's doing this, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where we start to get very meta in this extremely insufferable plot line. Uh, yeah, that's the thing is a little. I'm gonna open the curtain a little bit so you can peek mm-hmm. in behind it. Uh, well, I was confused as to when we were watching this movie, this uh, episode of the show Bones this week. I thought we were recording it earlier in the week, and so I watched it on like Sunday or so. Mm-hmm. I am really heavily relying on my notes because I don't remember any of it. It's very, very forgettable. The, uh, yeah. There's, imagine so, but, but imagine basically if you're like, a fan of Bones, right? And you wait an entire yeah. week and what you end up with is an episode of the show. Oh, another episode of the show where, you know, spoiler alert, they basically forget what the crime is. Um, they set up a, they the guy who who gets is like cancer free may as well have like lived his entire life in a pod to wake up and have his cancer cured so that he could die in front of sweets and then most of the show's energy goes on like putting little winks in the japanese like the japanese lady book reviewers um uh, uh, dialogue to like ooh is, this is a, a a bones about bones they wrote the bones on the show bones and um like 
Well, it's it's somehow even more insufferable because like they're already doing that in the show constantly. Mm-hmm. Like the the entire conceit of Bones is an author who writes about a character that is clearly based on herself called Kathy Rikes on a TV show produced by Kathy Rikes about her own fucking books that she writes she was a forensic anthropologist she wrote a bunch of books about a fucking character named bones they made a tv show out of it and they reverse engineered the thing into saying but wouldn't wouldn't it be clever if she wrote books and the lady in the books was named after the real lady so they're all already fucking constantly doing that there's already a bunch of plot lines like we started this episode with booth coming out of his fucking coma and and there was a whole thing about like him him like uh i think it was having having trouble reconciling the fact that like uh that you know their characters are in love in the book and everything so they're already constantly lacing the show with this stuff and now they have an entire plot line of this episode dedicated to just pointing at it and saying see <laughs> see oh. what we did it's the uh it's yeah it's it's basically what is it it's um it, it's it's p- actually pure postmodern fiction just like you know it's you think that postmodern fiction would be you know strange and inventive but that's just because you're coming at it from the point of view of being a sort of modernist mindset no postmodern fiction is purely just self-referential and purely commercial it is a, an Andy Warhol Campbell soup can print purchased from a petrol station of um yep. of a concept it's just these guys congratulating themselves yeah. oh and of course they take the book reviewer with them while investigating the crime and interrogating murder suspects and stuff um because you know whenever someone hangs out with you basically if you hang out with bones well when she's alerted to a crime you legally have to follow her until the crime is solved about 45 minutes later you, you, you are immediate you're immediately <laughs> deputized <laughs> You're deputized as like the science police. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's fucking insufferable. Like this is just before we go to credits. Um, Bone says, this is a male early thirties dead, uh, possibly last week, probably washed out in the tunnel when the main broke. And the reporter says, this could be a quite thrilling opening for your next book. And Booth goes, what did she say? God damn. That's fucking (laughs) awful. <laughs> and I mean, I'm, oh. I'm imagining, I'm imagining you, you did the accent here to illustrate that they like that Booth that it's, is. It's then just, like, it's just an accent, and then Booth yeah. is like, "What? Wow. What was that gibberish?" Jesus Christ! Oh, yeah, and then we get hit with some crystal method. Yeah. Uh, and we all and goddamn I- love it. And I guess then immediately after the crystal method, they reveal that um, the murders weren't caused by Bones writing them first because this isn't that movie typewriter. No. No. No, that's true. No. Wow. Sure debunked, sure debunked that. Now, um, we, we come back to the lab. Bones is saying there are striations on the bones from animal scavenging. And Daisy, who is back after some kind of absence... Uh, Sweets' girlfriend says probably rats from the subway tunnel. Oh, and, after uh, a sal- she's out from after a salary-related absent absence, of course. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the reporter says, "Oh, just like the remains in your book, bred in the bone." 
Yeah, bread says, and the bone. No, no, no. Those remains were eaten by weasels, not rats. Now, this forced me, unfortunately, to dig into the fictional books that Bones has written, starring lead character Kathy Rikes, who is not Kathy Rikes, the creator of Bones. Oh, no. We have. So the Whee! cops are coming. The cops are coming to stop <laughs> you from telling me the names. They're coming to investigate a literary murder. Um, so these these are the titles of books that have been featured in the TV show Bones, written mm-hmm. by the character Temperance uh, Bones Brennan. Mm-hmm. Bestsellers. She's very rich as a result. Yep. We have Bread in the Bone. That's B R E D, no A. Cross Bones, which is Bones' second novel. Its initial title was Bone Free, but she changed it when Booth mentioned that he didn't like it. What? Followed by Red Tape, White Bones. This Wait, so one, is that about regulations? This one is about a serial killer who targets corrupt politicians, ties them up with red tape, and it says here in parentheses, a reference to bureaucracy. <laughs> Uh, so wait, so is 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 this a, a book written by the creator of Mallard Fillmore? Like, what's going on? Uh, and he then kills them by shooting them and feeding them to various animals. Uh-huh. Uh, then there is Bone of Contention mentioned in this episode, uh, and then later on at some point, they in the episode "The Dude in the Dam," they mention another book, "Bones of the Lost." Now, I would like to crush your brain with the titles. Of the books from the series that this TV show is based on. Oh okay. no! What? God, I, how many? Are they how be many worse? books? How many books do you think Kathy Reichs wrote featuring the character Temperance Bones Brennan? God, okay, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, popular, like, um, like airport author. Uh, drawing from a real a, experience. A Dan Brown, a Michael Crichton yeah. kind of thing. Although, keep in mind, these are all about the same character. As far as I know, she may have written other books that aren't about this. This is mm-hmm. just ones that feature bones. So, okay, I'm going to guess 10. Uh, pretty low. Here we go. I'm going to read them out to you. Okay. Uh, in order of release. <clears throat> okay. Deja Dead. Oh, God. Awesome. Followed by Death Du Jour. So these are followed just named by, as the season one episodes of Family Guy when they tried to name them after like name them like film noir. Now this is gonna get worse, okay? Okay. Deadly Decisions. Followed <laughs> by Fatal Voyage. Oh, so they abandoned the alliteration after a few. Oh no, this is where you're wrong. They're about to take up a pattern here. Okay. Grave Secrets. That one's cle- you, you. You see where that one's clever because it's mm-hmm. it's a double, it's a double meaning. The secret. So we are now we are now uh, five books into the series before the sixth book in two thousand and three mentions the first uh, B word, bare bones. Okay. Next book is Monday morning with a U. Oh wow! And you're saying all of these. You're saying all of these puns happened to her. Followed by here we go. Now we're now we're getting into the streak. Okay. okay. Hit me. So we are what's seven books into this series of books about Dr. Temperance uh, Bones Brennan. Number eight, cross bones. Number nine, <laughs> break no bones. Number ten. Good advice. <laughs> number ten. 
Bones to Ashes. <laughs> That's right. That's what number this is, 11. This number 11. Devil Bones. Uh-huh. Number 12. 206 Bones. Okay, that one's just, that one's not a pun. That's just a fact. Number 13. Spider Bones. Don't think they have those. Number 14. Flash and Bones. What? Number 15. What? <laughs> flash and and bones okay god like, like maybe it's about like a maybe it's about like a um like paparazzo or something you know yeah i mean that, that one i have to look up hmm. uh number 15 bones are forever <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> number 16 bones of the lost uh-huh. number 17 Bones never lie. Uh, okay. <laughs> Number 18. I, I got the plot summary of Flash and Bones. Here's the one sentence. Brennan is called to examine a body found in the barrel of asphalt outside the racetrack in Charlotte, North Carolina. Things get very complicated when a toxic substance is found in the body and the FBI seizes all evidence and also the body. The Daily Express gave it three out of five. <laughs> Number 17, Bones Never Lie. Number 18, Speaking in Bones. Well, someone, it's good that someone has to. I mean, usually if you, t- if you study how to speak bones at university, you just get tapped up for MI6 or the CIA. Number 19, The Bone Collection. This is a short story collection which includes the stories First Bones, <laughs> a prequel to Deja Dead, Bones in Her Pocket, Swamp bones and bones on ice. Bones on so this this just sounds like goosebumps not story titles. <laughs> Followed by number twenty, released in the year of our Lord two thousand and twenty, a conspiracy of bones. Yeah, it's it's that it follows the exact same plot line of a conspiracy of dunces. It's just he's trying to figure out what happened to Ignatius. It's just uh, about after bones. he was after he choked on a hot dog. Just absolutely miserable stuff. Oh, conspiracy of dunces, confederacy of dunces. Damn it, oh. I missed it. I, I fucked up on my sort of teen, my, my, my teen serious guy book name. Brutal stuff there from uh, Kathy Reich's author of Bones. Yeah. Oh. Wait, it's, oh, it's called Bones. It's called bo- Bones, 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 Bones. <laughs> what does the Bones count on this episode? I want to know. <laughs> Oh, we definitely beat Bones, for sure. We beat God Bones damn. a while ago. Anyway, Sweet shows up at the lab and he's sad. It must be mm. time for another fucking C-plot where him and Daisy have an argument or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the first time so, Lance a lot as well, which is it's funny because uh, his, his name's Lance. Just a lot of fun name stuff this episode. Like, oh, she's named Kathy Reichs. Oh, Agent Andy. Oh, he's named Lance. Shut the fuck up with your names, Bones. Um, also, it's the, the other interesting thing, right, is that usually um, people don't talk about her book all the time. They talk about it sometimes, but they don't talk about it all the time. This episode, everyone's talking about all the books all the time and just bringing it up in casual conversation like they never do otherwise because they, all the characters in this show have the mind of the bored Wikipedia writers. Well, it's also very clearly implied throughout this episode that... Um, every single person 
uh, who works there reads every single one of the books that she's released. If your boss wrote a novel, you would probably want to read it just to get some insight into like what's going on with them. I guess so, especially if it's um, especially if it like is apparently just hardcore porn. Yeah, exactly. If you, I yeah, if, wait, if your boss wrote a sex novel, Jesus, you would probably want to read it. I mean, just um, for, for pure. Just for the pure so, strangeness. So just for the benefit of, I guess, moving the show along, they say that uh, something blue has cut the corpse's carotid artery or whatever. They don't even have... They haven't said it's a murder. Who gives a fuck? Uh, so we're now in Hodgins's car uh, because he's taking Sweets home because Sweets is sad because he saw a guy die. Mm-hmm. Even though it wasn't him. Yeah. Uh, we're then back to Bones' Wait, office. Sweets where is sad because he saw himself die? Sorry? Is that implied that Sweets could be sad because he saw himself die? (laughs) Live leak slash watch people die and it's just a mirror. Damn. So we're uh, we're in Bones' office and she keeps saying, hey, you clearly wrote this book about all of the people that you work with and your friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Bones is like, no, I didn't. There are some differences. <laughs> this conversation will be repeated 600 more times throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a tooth in the corpse's shoulder blade. It is from some type of operation in order to attempt to restore sight, leading someone to say, so our victim was blind. Uh, Bone uh-huh. states, this is a rare operation. We should contact ophthalmologists in the area. One of them can probably ID the victim. Very helpful. There's always an extremely easy way of IDing the victim. Uh, you know what that means. Yeah. Uh, that is the timer for when we have spent longer talking about the episode of Bones than the episode of Bones went for. I mean, the reason that is, of course, is, is that we've barely gotten into this episode is that much like a lot of other episodes of Bones that don't include like a fun demon or maybe like a Frankenstein or mm. whatever, like a mummy. Um, <laughs> yeah, like a, maybe the Frankenstein did it. And it's like, uh, actually, it's Frankenstein's monster. Thank you, Bones. Um, I think the, the Bones scenario there would be um, that they find like a grave that has a bunch of bones in it that are from different bodies. Oh, my God. And yeah, exactly. That's yeah, so Bo- good. Booth is, Booth is like, are you saying this is... A Frankenstein? And then they go to credits, Crystal Method, and then they come back and Bones is like, this is a mass grave. (laughs) It was not a Frankenstein. (laughs) Yeah. And then for the rest of the episode, when they say like, oh, there's like a, you know, there's a, uh, a, like a groove from a machete wound in this femur. And he's Mm -hmm. like, you're saying, uh, uh, you're saying Frankenstein got hit with a machete? Or a pitchfork. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then Angela would say something along the lines of, "Oh, I just wish you could swap out different body parts on men, if you know what I mean." <laughs> Did I tell you I'm either fucking a lot or not fucking? She's like talking to an infant. <laughs> oh boy. So where where were we up to? We were up to so we have just we've just looked at the um, tooth stuck in the shoulder. Ophthalmologist should be able to identify them. Our victim was blind. Yeah. So uh, Hodgins decides that he wants to go down into the sewer and dig through a bunch of rat shit uh, for clues. Sure. Why not? Him and Daisy go down there. 
I don't really understand this next part. They find the rat nest and there is a white cane stuck in it. Yeah. Because the and rats the rats t- the rats nested on the body and then also he ha- took his cane with him. He might as well have like left a little paperback book that says like coping with blindness. Um yeah, I don't know for example why the skeleton was all washed out in one piece but the cane wasn't by the flood water. Anyway, uh, this causes Daisy to say, so our victim was blind. Despite the fact that another character said that like 20 seconds ago. Again, uh, didn't didn't rewrite. No rewrites, yep. no redrafting, nothing. Not only are there no rewrites, no redrafting, uh, no edits, you are not allowed to look back at the <laughs> earlier pages of the script to see... <laughs> Like this, I if the, the, this is a use. Did we the, already say that the victim was blind? P- better put it in again. Yeah, just just in case. This is a perfect use for the Elon Musk Neuralink device, where you can just attach your brain to a computer and then just sort of stream of consciousness something you think might be an interesting crime. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, um, back in the lab. We discover that the name of the victim is Martin Aragorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, son of Martin Arathorn. Well, yep, uh, thirty years old, lives in Kingsman Park. Uh-huh. His eye surgeon identified him. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Angela says he's a scribe, and Cam says, "I <laughs> beg your pardon." <laughs> he's Bar- we've, we're solving the murder of Bartleby the Scrivener. He's <laughs> getting killed, just- being like, "I'd prefer not to." I like that we immediately dive into the ableism here. Yeah, uh, Cam is just like, what? A blind person can't do stuff. No, I can't. A, 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 a blind Whoa. scribe? Oh. And, and uh, Angela says, seriously, he wrote letters for a living. Okay, this is another thing, right? Where like there would have been a human interest story in the, you know, the, the pervert times or whatever newspaper TV writers read. And it'd be like a human interest story about a man who writes letters for a living. And then they were just like, wow, let's make a murder story about this thing we just read. Because I no longer believe that they invent anything. I think they just rip it all from the headlines. Like, I can only imagine that's the kind of headline this would have been ripped from. I think that's probably pretty reasonable, to be honest. Also, what's Um, really funny is, right, like, um, is that they, like, his job is to write letters to the editor on behalf of people who can't write well. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> like letters like, to Congress uh, people, love letters. Uh, let us see out of the complaints and such. Like, which again, the, like the cast of the show were just like, uh, read and write, he's blind, which is very cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so back to the Founding Fathers, uh, also, more of briefly, this. They, they introduce the C plot here as well. Um, oh, yeah. Which is, oh, God, there's. Uh, basically, because everyone's talking about Brennan's book, and the conflict is that it, the conflict in the C plot between the, the 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 book review person who's like, ah, everyone likes your books because of the characters, and then Bones is like, no, it's because it's forensically accurate. It's like, fuck off, you you know, you would have written a textbook, not a novel. Um, 
Yeah, she's like, people love evidence. And then people, and and then it transpires that basically Angela comes over, has two glasses of Pinot Grigio, and then just basically says like penis and vagina, and then Bones writes that into sex scenes for her book. And there's a famous one on page 187, and everyone's like, is this about page 187? And it's all that is is the C plot is just it's just the plot of a Seinfeld episode called The Move where um it is that's what I had written down too. (laughs) (laughs) It's just and it's like damn this is way less funny when Patrick Warburton isn't involved. Yep, you're totally right. Uh, I've got here that we're at the founding fathers with more of this dog shit uh, B plot. I guess it's the B plot. We're continuing on with the uh, you are clearly writing about yourself and your friends. No, I'm not business, which is, I guess, going to sustain us for a whole episode. Isn't she supposed to be smart? Wouldn't she be able to be like, you know, draw these connections? Uh, so, oh, like sorry. you said, uh, yeah. everyone, <laughs> well, I have, I have here in my notes, everyone cares a lot about how horny the book is with Daisy saying that her and Sweets try to move from the book. What is this? Seinfeld? Yeah, it was a pinch and a counterclockwise swirl. Yep. Just just George Costanza sits down at the Founding Fathers and says something like, well, I murdered someone, Jerry. <laughs> Funnily enough, I watched that episode very recently of Seinfeld. What, I mean. the move, not the one where George murders someone. Yep. And, um, <laughs> just Kramer burst again, like, you ever thrill kill a hobo? <laughs> Like, and that, that episode is actually clever because mm-hmm. it becomes very obvious very quickly that the entire thing is just sub, uh, like subtext for comedians doing each other's bits and for people telling jokes that they heard and fucking them up. Like, that's, that's the entire thing. You know, when Jerry's saying to Putty, like, oh, well, look, you can do my material if you're out of town and... <laughs> <laughs> all these sorts of things and of course George represents the person who hears somebody else's joke and tells it badly and fucks up the punchline um, all that sort of stuff tries to write it down so that he can do a better job of it but gets yeah. caught <laughs> reading but, you know, a joke is, from cue cards but this is just about a sex move it's not a subtext this, or anything well I mean th- that was a show that understood subtext in the sense that like um you know, for a, for a show that was screening in the early 90s with, like, episode uh, plot lines about, like, jacking off and and performing cunnilingus on your girlfriend and all this sort of stuff and always managing to make it about something uh, fairly benign but having all of the dialogue for the thing apply to the thing they're actually talking about. That was a show that actually understood subtext, whereas... This show is literally saying to you over and over again, you have written a series of books that are clearly actually about the people in your life. Well, she says, no, they aren't. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then one of the characters will say, did you read the steamy sex move on page 187? And another character will say, that is a sex move that I did to one of the people in real life upon whom this book is based. Yes. Uh, yeah. They do literally fucking rehash the whole plot from the episode of Seinfeld because Hodgins reads page 187 and is like, that's my move. Yeah. That's my move. I would just, I would just love it if they sat down in monks and had this conversation instead of the founding fathers. <laughs> <laughs> just just for the one scene and, and they yeah, didn't just, explain it at all. Yeah. Just, just sitting there like you know, stirring a coffee. Uh, Hodgins comes in, sits, <laughs> sits down and is just like, did you write about my move? Uh, I don't understand uh, what the move is or what I was supposed to have written about it. Your mind is a beautiful place, Hodgins. I I will say this 
for this episode. I think that this is one of the extremely rare episodes where I actually think that the, like the B-plot stuff, as terrible as it is, is still moderately more interesting than the murder plot in this one. The murder plot, I just could not have cared less about. Uh, mm-hmm. They were like barely keeping the thing shuffling along. Um, I have here in my notes that they're back in the lab. There is pitting in the skull, which they think came from blowback. So now they're looking for a blue bullet, I guess. Yeah, the b- blue bullet or they're looking at the podcast about the Iraq war. I don't know. Yep. They could barely sustain interest in this plot themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be always constantly you know, forgetting that they're talking about this murder and they keep talking about imaginary murders. Yep. So now we're at the FBI where Booth is interviewing the sad business partner of the dead letter writing guy who then explains to Booth the concept of writing letters. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of this stuff? Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Uh, then Gee, he talks to Sweets. Then he's having a chat to Sweets about the letters and he explains to Sweets that it was probably good that the guy on the train died mm-hmm. uh, because he just received good news. Yeah, that's and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to die immediately after receiving good news? You know, uh, yeah, this is like it's, that does really, really speak to like the um, uh, a, a particularly American style of fatalism is that you just like you want to die as early as possible with a ba- great big grin plastered across your face because it's, it's like, well, I guess I can't get any more bad news to counteract the good news I've just gotten because the bad. Well, I guess the bad news would be kind of your head has been thwacked against a subway pole and you've died in a freak um, water mains related accident, but you're not really around to have that bad news. So why not just like, as soon as babies are born, load mother, father and child onto a trebuchet, sling them into a, into the sea. And then, you know, kind of just wind down uh, humanity. As they a had a good run. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually wondered if, um, to Booth, this is good. He generally thinks it's for the best if people die since he has killed at least 50 of them. Well, 51. So, like, for his... For, yeah, for his for his internal logic, for his uh, for his sanity, he he basically has to f- say to himself, well, getting your life cut short, you know. It's not so bad. It's not that bad. Or is it actively good? Mm. Who can say? Yeah, I'm, I'm going around helping people. I've helped 50 people for the US government. And- <laughs> Yeah, I travel internationally helping people at a high velocity. So um, I can help someone from two kilometers away. <laughs> and if everything goes according to plan, they'll never know who helped that man. I'm basically, when you think about it, I'm basically a fairy godmother. God. Um, now, I'm, now I'm just thinking of like uh, of the movie Shooter, mm-hmm. in which Mark Wahlberg is like, you know, talking about how how good you have to be to um to like shoot someone from a mile away kind of thing mm-hmm. except just just substituting all of the dialogue with with like helping <laughs> <laughs> when you oh. come to help the king you best not miss <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness oh my. um Anyway, so they've they've now convinced themselves that it's probably good that the guy died. Mm-hmm. And uh, they read some of his letters and, hey, there is a death threat at the end of one, which was received in reply to the letter. <gasps> they say they say, 
Oh, I guess he kept the replies at the end. Oh, okay, good. That's good thing he did that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten this clue that's definitely going to be relevant. This the guy, and it, hmm. the fact that it was just like over like like a trip advisor dispute or something. This <laughs> is awesome because it's like yeah, that's actually <laughs> that's actually pretty true to life. Americans are constantly threatening to um, travel across the country to help one another over like a three star trip advisor review. I love those ones. You won't be talking. Uh, you won't be talking so tough when you see me walking up your driveway to help you in the morning. <laughs> so, um, so we're back to, to the help lab. Out a stranger in need. <laughs> well, we're back to the lab, where of course it is time for a little taste of. <laughs> wild speculation uh so they've found some rat shit that has like uh i guess some of the guy's clothes in it or whatever some of his flesh um Mm -hmm. but also it has a little tiny bit of shoe leather in the shit but it's not from the corpse so you know what that means it 100 percent, definitely certainly came from the person who murdered him that's correct. Let's let's play out the logic of that just for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, please do. So, in this scenario, somebody has gone down in the subway, killed a person, and then I guess just stood still for long enough for a curious rat to bite a little bit of shoe leather off their boot, and they're not, like, pulling their foot away from the rat that's actively gnawing on them. And then the rat swallows that and goes over and also eats a bit of the corpse and then shits it out. And then at some mm-hmm. point, Daisy Wick, who I assume is related by marriage to John Wick... Mm-hmm. Uh, comes along and finds this piece of shit and is like, well, done, apparently, linked to a murderer. Uh, well, it'd be reasonable for her to be related to John Wick because people in our Discord have helpful, or in the various Discords of our shows have helpfully pointed out that Angela's father is canonically one of the guys from ZZ Top. God damn it. So she might as well be really John Wick's niece. God damn it. Yeah. Um. So... We're now at the FBI where the person who sent this threat is being interviewed by uh, Booth. He basically has all the characteristics of Eeyore. Where he's like, oh, this guy destroyed my career with my sandwich place with his bad review. The people have been killed for less. You're destroying my career in my life. People have been killed for less. That's the death threat. Number one, not a death threat. Number two, he's like, oh, even from the grave, this guy's ruining my life. I'm I'm sad because I'm being questioned for murder by the FBI. Although this is the guy, the first guy that actually asked for a lawyer. Yeah, which of course means he didn't do it. Um, The other way that we can tell that he didn't do it is that Booth talks to him and he says, yeah, I'm glad he's dead. Um, And Booth is like... It's reverse psychology for the FBI. Yeah. Booth is like, well, we better get you a lawyer. And it plays some very tense music, um, you know, indicating that perhaps this guy was up to something. And then we never see this character again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just, death just never returns. Like, well, we questioned him. We asked him if he did. And he asked for lawyers of admitting it immediately. So anyway, what else is on? Uh, then we're back at the lab. Bones is talking to the interviewer. She's still mad that she's being asked about characters and not cool facts and evidence. Uh, mm-hmm. She reveals that Angela gave her the boner material for the book, which again, we already knew. On page so we already knew the guy was blind. Seven. 187, the sex number. 
in Bones World. That is yeah, the Everyone's sex like, dude, 187, nice, man. So Sweets is back in the office despite his uh, train wreck death-induced PTSD and uh, he's doing some work with Angela and then gives Daisy a bit of a we-need-to-talk statement, but not right now. I just mm-hmm. want you to feel nervous. Yeah. Um, Angela is like somehow backtracking the recipient of the, the emails, which with were magic. the letters that, that this guy was being paid to write, mm-hmm. and then immediately has full control over the computer of the person who received the emails I mean, um I, I noticed that nobody says hey uh we kind of need a warrant for this mm-hmm. or we are massively violating somebody's privacy well it, the um the interesting thing right here's the thing the um like a lot of these shows if you think about these shows what their function is all the all the cop shows all the tv shows they're not only there to make you think that they're there to make you think that whatever organs of the security state are, are around are good and necessary and that you shouldn't be scared of them because unless you like, you know, do a crime, if anything, they're going to there to help you stop committing a crime because everyone's being surveilled all the time. So if they commit a crime on you, they're definitely going to get caught. So like it's, it's basically like, um, okay, you know, remember, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's, uh, who is America? How as Aaron Murad, he like yeah. got this, you know, fucking, I don't know, this gun rights activist to like, agree to do a video promoting guns for toddlers and putting them in like little stuffed animals that's what this is for like the article elements of the national security state it's putting a gun in a stuffed giraffe and like having a baby wave it around it's beautiful stuff yeah so um it turns out it's the computer of the guy who manages the train station because mm, we couldn't who, have who a new cares? character obviously yeah, it's, who cares they, they, again, they think of like a mystery is like is putting a random character in to like I don't know, as an almost an extra in the first scene, having them completely unconnected to the crime in any way, not thought about in any way, and then they just randomly pop up later. It's like, it's like they, um, it's like all of the skeleton of a mystery story, but like none of the actual interconnection. Um, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the like structure of an episode of Bones to me always comes off as a writer saying, um, here's a character. Imagine if they did the murder. They didn't, but it's interesting to imagine. (laughs) So now he is the really important part of the episode. Oh, yeah, I love this one. Here here is the most important part of the episode. We are in the car with Daisy and Angela. But which car Um, are we in, Andrew? Well, I mean, yes, there's some bullshit extraneous plot stuff about... um, uh, Daisy thinks she's going to get dumped by Lance despite being a sexual dynamo. But she does stop before this point to say to Angela, why do you drive a minivan? Do you have kids that we don't know about? And Angela says, I'm an artist, Daisy, and the Toyota Sienna has plenty of room. Plus, I stink at parallel parking and the backup camera thing is like innovation of the century. Fuck. That's so cool. It's She's fucking like, incredible. It's like the, they wrote the, the Toyota ad first and then they were like, okay, how do we get Daisy and Angela in the car together? Let's write the episode backwards from this. It's reverse engineering a fucking Toyota commercial. <laughs> 45 minute long Toyota. It, it's gr- I love when it's like, okay, you have to say the model of the car and you have to say the name of a feature. You guys don't get the check if you haven't said the name of the car and the feature and everything. <laughs> Again, like, you might as well put an interest rate on the screen at this point. Oh, 
It's so good. <laughs> but wait, on your government salary, are you able to afford 29% APR? Daisy, for the first six months, it's an interest-free payment. I can't afford not to. So, um, FBI interview... Uh, turns out that Aragorn, son of Arathorn, was writing letters for uh, the guy from the subway so that he could send them to Clear Deval. And Booth is like, damn, she dumped you, though, which means that you must have killed the guy because you were mad about the money you spent on a service. Yep, that's um, what then there's very dramatic music, which means that that guy probably didn't do it. Mm-mm. No, it's not, the right, can, it's not the right time in the episode. You can tell, as, yeah, as soon as they do, like, dramatic musical cues... Uh, to indicate the potential guilt of somebody, you immediately know that that person is yeah. not going to be going to jail at the end of the episode. Well, the real guilt happens when they do sappy music cues because the person breaks down. Dramatic music cues is, did they do it? No. Sappy music cues is, oh my God, I did it. Yes, yes, I did it and I'm sad about it. Um, so, uh, Angelo's on the phone to Booth uh admitting that she made suggestions about the book for for bones which again you've told us three times now uh turns out that she essentially writes all of the human interactions for bones Mm -hmm. which does kind of answer a question i had had throughout the series which is how is bones meant to be writing human interactions between people Mm -hmm. um and then we have a nice long external shot of the toyota that booth is driving yeah oh they really make they really let you know that it's a toyota they really they make sure you have do. to see, shoot it from the front, the side, and then you know I, you mentioned another feature. Yes, you have to discuss. You just open the brochure and speak to it, really. <laughs> so, um, you know now now they interview Claire Duval down at the FBI, and she says, "Ah, oh, my my ex Eddie was more the angry type than Colin, which is the guy from the subway station, and Eddie owns a pawn shop right above the train station. Again, mm-hmm. very convenient. Everything yes, about this." All events must be located within a sort of very tight radius of one another. Because yep. it's not believable if all those events are happening in different places. And it- and who wants to who wants to drive around to all these places, even in the great comfort and fantastic gas mileage of a Toyota Sienna? Yeah. So they go and see Eddie at the pawn shop, and he is uh, one of the kids from Hook. I'm glad he landed on his feet. He owns a business. (laughs) Um, And again, for some reason, they've brought the Japanese interviewer along. They really don't do much of a job of explaining to you why they choose to take her to particular places and not to other ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And they ask to see this guy's gun. And he goes, sure, I'll get my gun for you. And Booth immediately pulls his own gun on him when he reaches for the gun that they asked him to reach for. The Japanese reporter becomes very horny, Mm -hmm. visibly horny about the gun being drawn. Yep, because it's like a penis. Yeah, and she's just like, oh, Booth, you must love it when he defends you with a gun. Yeah. So Agent um, Andy does in the books. Like Agent Andy from the books. From the books. Whom we love. Mm -hmm. So um, they take a look at this guy's gun. Uh, they also find some of like the the blue ammo that they were looking for as a plot point. Wow, it's a slam dunk. Yep, and uh, and uh, Bone says, "Got you, you crook, you filthy fucking criminal. You're going to jail, you piece of shit, you fucking scum." Um, but he says, "Hey, 
those bullets, they don't even fit into my gun. Mm-hmm. They do fit into my other gun that I gave to Clea Duval. Dun, dun. <gasps> they, uh, so they pull her in for an interview and they say, hey, hey, you mind if we see your gun? And she's like, sure. I'd fucking love for you to look at my gun. Yeah. My cool but, gun. But I'm a cop and I know that if you had any evidence uh, that I had actually done this crime, you would have arrested me. So I am going to leave. Mm-hmm. And I say, oh, you can leave if you want. But we have a warrant for your shoes. And she says, my shoes? <laughs> and they say, from earlier, the shoe leather that Daisy the found shoe in the shoe leather. Check off shoe leather. And they say, hey, lady. Uh, we we found a little bit of shoe leather down there and it probably came from the shoe of the murderer and then mm-hmm. the emotional music starts. So you know that she basically, they don't actually have to prove anything. They just have to sort of, you know, get enough of a, they just have to know enough to accuse you and then if you did it, you have to say you did it. And she doesn't even say that she did it. She just says, oh, I should have just been happy with my boyfriend. Yeah, why did she kill this guy? I think the... The implication to me mm-hmm. was that um, she she was okay with her current boyfriend and then this other guy started trying to woo her with his ghost-written letters. Uh-huh. And when she found out that they were ghost-written, she was furious that the letters were a lie. Uh-huh. And then she murdered him? Because she... Yeah, because she's... She found out that some letters to her were ghostwritten and then said, I have flown into a murderer's rage, so I'm going to premeditate a murder by taking this gun and shooting this guy in a sewer where he is for some reason. Because yeah, pretty much. of these ghosts. This is why this was just a non-entity of a plot. Because it was like, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, oh, who, who wrote the love letter? And it was, turns out that the recipient of the love letter killed the writer of the love letter because he was a ghost writer of love letters. And she was somehow disappointed by that enough to kill. I tell you what, he's really a ghost writer now. Does anyone else want to do this podcast about bones <laughs> with me? Please do send me a message. <laughs> I feel like they should have let me write the show, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, it's better than any of the sort of, you know, pizzicato jokes that they do. So why not? Yeah. Um, so I guess that's the A-plot done very unceremoniously, mm-hmm. uh, yep. which is fine. I got mad about a ghostwriter, so I committed murder. Yep. Uh, yep. But that means that it is time to enter the uh, B, C, and D plot wrap-up <laughs> in rapid succession. <laughs> um, okay, B-plot. Let's wrap it up. That's right. So we've got... Um, We've got B-plot, Japanese reporter. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's leaving and she says, um, I learned that people should not take credit for what other people write. Of course, I am referring to the guy from this week's case. Yeah, because they could have gotten murdered. You'd get murdered if you do that, but not by the person you're taking credit for writing for, the person you're fooling by taking credit for the writing. Yep. Yeah, you're murdered by your audience if you find out you're a ghostwriter. Yep. So she leaves. We never, we never find out what happens with the article that was causing everybody so much no. stress. I mean, what the article? What would the article um, be like? I was, I'm a reporter. I was taken on a series of murder investigate. I was taken on a murder investigation, um, and watched like an FBI agent intimidate a witness and stuff. I had a great time in America. 
I was taken to do a series of murders. Um, well, it would be in Japanese, so I wouldn't be able to read it anyway. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah. So, um, this all makes Bones just look into the middle distance for quite a while and really think about something. A time-filling makes, amount of looking into the middle distance. Yeah, like, makes, her, makes her... minutes. Makes her look at Angela for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she decides, she goes to Angela and decides that she says, I'm going to give you 25% of my money from my advance and from the sales of my books, uh, because you wrote all of the sex porn parts of the books and those are the parts everybody likes. Uh Um, and and uh, Angela makes a face when she looks at the check that indicates that she is now also independently wealthy. (laughs) So that's now three of the bone squad is independent. So Angela Hodgins and bones are now like independently very wealthy. And all just off uh, these dog shit books, which is pretty cool. Hodgins is, uh, inherited a billion dollars in a previous season. I think that's, that's cool for him. also. (laughs) yeah, uh, so that's the B plot done, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, which is the whole stupid book thing. And then the C plot, uh, Sweets is here to wrap up his uh, very prolonged uh, breakup thing. But guess what? It was the biggest red herring of all. He's seen his life flash before his eyes. And so he wants to get married to his girlfriend. That's the only way anyone ever gets married anymore in these Tinder times. You have to see someone die in front of you after receiving a cancer-free diagnosis. That is so true. And it's Mm. happening more and more. (laughs) More and more it's happening. The only way to get... It's like it used to be that you had to like have a really good dowry to get married and it was really expensive to get married. Now you need to see like a sort of slightly hackneyed life-changing event that makes you reconsider some things and that's what's required to get married. I will say though that this this produced the biggest laugh line of the episode for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, This part, which is... Daisy, uh, he's on his knees uh, saying, would you be my wife? And she gets on her knees as well and says, it would make me incredibly happy if you would be my husband. And then she says, I'm sorry about everyone else, all the bad things, but that earthquake was the luckiest thing in the world for me. (laughs) So basically, like, (laughs) I'm so happy that the accident that caused someone to die in front of you and give you PTSD and freak out about your life and rush into proposing me happened. Mm-hmm. Time to not think about this. That's romance, baby. That's the only way it works now because of dating apps and social media. Beautiful. Oh romance. boy. Real stinker of an episode, huh? Yep. Uh, and then I guess they're at Bones's house at the end. Uh, Booth shows up. And he's like, damn, I need a drink. It turns out that uh, Eddie, the pawn shop guy, got the best defense lawyer in town for Clea Duval mm-hmm. because it's just really hot when some broad murders somebody for you. Yeah, I guess so. Again, you know, it's like if, if you don't see someone die, you have to commit a murder to, to propose. What with uh, dowry, emotional dowries being what they are these days. Emotional dowries. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yep. Like you said, fair bit of a stinker, this one. There was no tantalizing, um, no tantalizing supernatural element. Nope. You know, nothing no, much um, going on. <coughs> no, yeah, that's, that's not a lot. 
Not a lot. It's good that we didn't have a guest for this one. You know, you would hate to bring somebody on and be like, check out our favorite TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this one has so many inside references. You won't get any of them. (laughs) Yeah, this would be so much worse than the average episode, wouldn't it? For just like trying to discern what the fuck was going on. I'm I'm getting whiplash, though, from like the dentist in the ditch to the demon in the ditch to this one the subway in the ditch like there's just just bad good bad well yeah and also just like fucking wildly wildly bizarrely written mm-hmm. <sighs> you yeah. will be pleased to know in doing my research about the books um that both that Kathy Reichs wrote and that Bones wrote about Kathy Reichs, I did discover that one of the other episodes in this season of Bones was written by Kathy Reichs herself. Which one? Have you seen uh, it I yet? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, we haven't, we haven't watched it yet. We haven't watched okay. it yet. Well, hey, you know what? I'm looking forward to that one being just as sort of fun and self-referential as this one and you know having another sort of you know hour to hour and a half where i'm like more more inside references god oh the the sex page Ah, 187 lol nice my goodness hell yeah well that's it folks that's it that's your fill of bones uh i guess we finally found an episode that allowed us to keep it under two hours (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go us congratulations oh. to us we love to see it we do love to see it thank you all for listening thank you for listening and we will see you next time bye bye bye